Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 5 through 17 in Romans chapter 10. And if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, that's not a problem. You can just grab the pew Bible there in front of you and open up to page 1303. 1,303 in the pew Bible there in front of you. Romans chapter 10. Verses 5, 17, and we're continuing in our Ordinary Glory sermon series. This is a series where we're trying to highlight some of those ordinary means, those common means by which God blesses and grows and and makes His church healthier over the years. And so we are doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down, however you want to talk about it, on these ordinary things at First Baptist Church Gaz. In fact, my hope and my prayer is that we can be an ordinary church, uh, a, a simple, ordinary, basic church doing the basic things that God has asked us to do. And my belief is that God uses that to change the world, that God uses ordinary means in extraordinary ways. And so that's why we're looking at each of these things and just taking another look at these basic things that God has called us to as a church. Well, if you have your Bibles open there, I want you to go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you, beginning in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ pray together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from your word today. God, would you make us faithful evangelists. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we've got some, some good friends in here with us that aren't always in here with us during this portion of the sermon. Our children are here today and I'd just like to remind all of our kids how thankful we are uh, to have you in church this morning, but I want to ask you children a question really quick. And uh, 
Now, I've learned that sometimes they answer, okay? And uh, that's okay with me, so just know this. Um, But think to yourself, think in your own heart, think in your mind, and ask yourself this question, what's the best gift I ever got? It's the best gift I ever got. My daughter's raising her hand, but we're not going to call on you today. We're just going to let you think in your heart, okay? We're going to let you think in your heart, what's the best gift you ever got? Now, this isn't just a question for children, right? It's a good question for adults. What's the best gift you've ever received? And when you think about that gift, then the next thing you think about is, not only what's the best gift you ever received, but who gave you that gift? Who, from whom did you receive that present? And by the time you're my age, as you think back on that gift, who gave it to you will mean more to you than the present does. You'll think more about who gave you the gift than you'll think about the gift itself. Why? Because that gift is such a picture of love. Now take a moment with me and think for just a moment and ask yourself this question. Who led me to the Lord? Who led me to the Lord? Who, who led you to the Lord? Ask yourself that question even now. And, and then go with me into your imagination a little further and imagine for a moment where you would be without that person. That person who led you to Christ. I, I love to think about the people. Not, it wasn't just one person who led me to the Lord. There was one person who was there with me when I prayed to receive Christ. But I love to think back on all the people throughout my life who taught me and told me about Jesus Christ and His gospel. Where would I be without those people. Isn't it beautiful when you stop and consider the fact that God in His kindness and mercy and love and His sovereignty sent someone to tell you about Jesus? Sent someone to tell you about Jesus? Every Christian, every Christian has an honor and a privilege to tell other people about Jesus, to give other people the greatest gift that you could give them, and that's the gift of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, it's a gift that ultimately comes from God, but isn't it so good? Isn't it so merciful and so kind that God lets us participate in the process? That's precisely what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply telling others the good news about Jesus. Now, we sometimes get a couple of categories confused. Sometimes we get the category of witnessing and the category of evangelizing confused. And, and sometimes we think when we witness, we're evangelizing. Now, witnessing can help us evangelize. We bear witness all the time. A holy life is witnessing. Did you, did you know that? There, there are passive ways to witness. If you've ever been through a trial and you clung to faith in Jesus throughout it, you have witnessed You have been a witness to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you can tell your own testimony, and that's witnessing. That's sharing the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. But evangelism, evangelizing means sharing the gospel. Not just what has happened in your life, but actually sharing the good news of what Jesus has done and telling people how they too can be saved. Evangelism is an essential element of a healthy church And in the life of a healthy church. And I think that we're tempted to see evangelism primarily as programs. 
going out witnessing or, or everybody getting together and, and, and going door-to-door evangelizing. And listen, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing those things. In fact, um, if, if, if somebody came to me after the service today and said, Brother Matt, I'd love to go door-to-door evangelizing, you know what I'd do? I'd say, when do you want to go? And some of you have said that to me. And I've, I've, I'll say to you, when, when do you want to go? You just let me know. Or there's a group of us who want to go door-to-door evangelizing. You know what I'd do? I'd hand you the keys to the church van. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I'd do it. And, and I'd just give you the keys to the church van and say, go for it. Save me a seat. I'd love to go do that with you. But see, I think we're tempted, though, to think that that's the only way to evangelize or that that's the primary way to evangelize. We, we tend to focus on programs more than we just focus on people. And, and the bottom line is the greatest evangelistic tool that First Baptist Church of Gadsden has is sitting in front of me right now. The best possible thing we can do is just be evangelists. Is just be people who practice a lifestyle of evangelism. Do we focus more on programs or people? Do we focus more on having a special night or a special day of evangelism? Or do we focus more on loving our neighbors? Now, we've not abandoned having special emphases on evangelism. Don't mishear me. But at the end of the day, if we're going to reach Gadsden, if we're going to reach Etowah County, if we're going to reach the world for Christ, it, it will be because Christians are passionate about telling other people about Jesus. It won't be because somebody in Nashville came up with a great new program on how to do it. We, we must look then this morning at three truths that must shape our evangelism. Three truths that must shape the way that we tell other people about Jesus. Three truths that must shape the way that we, we share the gospel with others. Here's the first. We must clearly display grace. We must clearly, unquestionably, display grace in our lives and in our church if we are to be effective evangelists. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Brothers and sisters, our message must be more than this. Our message must be more than you are morally wrong and you ought to follow God's law. Our message has to be more than Our our, our message has to be more than do the commandments and live by the commandments. Because we all recognize if doing the commandments is the way we receive life, if the way that we're commended before God is through doing God's commandments, we are all hopelessly destined to hell. Because none of us has kept the law perfectly. Not one of us has done that. We must clearly display grace. You see, the world, this is one of the ways that we can be so countercultural. I, I, think we've, I think we've missed the boat on this as, as, as the Lord's church. Because so often what we do is we, when we hear grace, we think cheap grace. As soon as we hear grace, we think what grace must mean then is just letting people go on and do whatever they want. And nothing burns us up more than thinking about just letting people do whatever they want. It just, just gets under our skin to think about that. Why? Because we have an innate sense as Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, we have a sense of God's justice that God's put in our hearts. We, we know that people can't just go live however they want and do whatever they want. We know that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so we recognize that folks ought not to just do whatever they want. 
But you see, we automatically, when we hear grace so often, think cheap grace. But the Bible teaches us of costly grace. Grace that was bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we, we can be so countercultural here because the world is not good at grace. The, the world is so bad at grace. Now, the world is really good at you do you. And, and the world is really good at live your truth. The, the world is good at those things. You do you, you live your truth, you act how you want to do. What's true for you is true for you. The world is great at letting people do whatever they want to do until people do what the world doesn't want them to do. Right? The world's really good at it until they don't like what you've done. When someone messes up, watch out. They're blackballed, they're ostracized, they're mocked, they're on the wrong side of history, they're in the dustbin of history, etc., etc., etc. When you mess up, the world doesn't clearly display grace. And brothers and sisters here in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we can show and demonstrate to people who have messed up and know that they've messed up, that there is another chance in Jesus Christ. In fact, there are infinite chances in Jesus Christ. If we can demonstrate to them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then brothers and sisters, we can have a countercultural movement in our churches by which people come to know Jesus because they so desperately need grace, so desperately need love. But to do that, we must display a righteousness that is not from the law. We, we must display a righteousness that is not from the law. And so often, that's how we present the gospel to outsiders. Now, that's never how we share the gospel one-on-one. We've, we've been through enough training to know that's not what you say. We, we're, we're so trained, we know how to recognize a, a works-based answer from a mile away been through the faith evangelism training or whatever you've been through, and you know that's a workspace answer, that's not it. But so often do we not just sort of demonstrate and display through our lives and the way we act and the way we behave that, and accidentally communicate to people that our righteousness is from how we act and how we behaved and, and not from Christ. So, so often I, I think we've got levels of righteousness that we require of people before we'll love them. So often I think we've got levels of righteousness that we require of people before we'll be kind and gracious to them. You may say, preacher, that's, that's not true at all. But I know it is because I see the things we all post on Facebook. You know, people can see what you post on social media. Do you know that? And, and lost people can too. Do you guys know that? Lost people are on social media. I don't know if anybody knew this or not. It's not, it's not just your political party buddies that are on there. And when we post about people made in the image of God, unspeakable things just because they disagree with us on politics, what we're saying is that we are in and you are out and it's based on behavior. It's based on how you act. It's based on what you do. We must demonstrate and display a righteousness that is not from the law. But we furthermore must also demonstrate our own inability to save ourselves. Are we inadvertently communicating to folks that we are good and that's why we're Christians? Or are we demonstrating to people that we don't go to find Jesus as we see in verse 8? 
That we don't go on some quest to search for God. We don't go into heaven to bring Jesus down. We, we don't go into the abyss to bring Jesus up. But instead, the key is very near. Bear in mind that the Apostle Paul doesn't say the key's inside you. Right? It's not something you can do, right? But the key is very near. It's the word of God that's been preached. It's the gospel that's been preached. Brothers and sisters, we did not save ourselves. We could not save ourselves. Nobody ever has nor will save themselves based on what they've done, based on what they could do. It is always and only through the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must be so careful to clearly and overwhelmingly display that Christ's gospel is a gospel It is good news of grace and grace alone. It's not what we've done. We must demonstrate. We must clearly display grace. But second of all, we must boldly preach the gospel. We must boldly preach the gospel. As we we preach the gospel to those around us, there's a a set of four questions that must be answered. And that, these four questions are what we'll look, like, look at in these, this second point. As we boldly preach the gospel, there's a set of four questions that any person you encounter as you share the gospel with them, th- these are a set of four questions whether they recognize it or not, they're going to have. And the first one is this, do we even need to be saved? You know, growing up, even in my own lifetime, and certainly in, in many of your lifetimes, if you asked someone whether they were saved or not, they knew exactly what you meant by that, right? And, and by and large, they knew whether they had been or not, right? They, they knew, they, or they had, they had not come down front when they knew they should have, and they were under conviction. And that was the way we evangelized so often, were people who had grown up in church, had been a part of church, and who desperately needed the gospel. In fact, so much of the evangelism strategies in my lifetime were really oriented around finding backslidden Christians. People who had grown up at least claiming to be Christians and sharing the gospel with them. And that's a good good pond to fish in if you want to lead people to Jesus. Or people who think they're Christians and they're not. I want everybody to be saved. I want everybody to come to know Jesus. The question today that so many people have, have is if you were to go up to a stranger and ask them whether or not they're saved, in so many cases they may think, well, saved from what? Why do I even need to be saved? I'm, I'm doing just fine. And so we have to demonstrate from the Bible what, what Paul is teaching here, that there is a need to be saved. We must demonstrate to them that they need God's grace. We must demonstrate to them that they need to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. We, we have to teach them and demonstrate to them what it even means to be far from God in order that they might draw near to God through his grace in the gospel. The next question that we must answer is, what must we do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? The Bible makes it so clear in verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
You see, we cannot just tell this beautiful story of the gospel as important as that is. I I love to tell the story about creation and the fall and redemption and restoration. I I love the big picture of what God's doing throughout all of human history. I I love the meta-narrative, the the big story throughout all of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I I love to see the way that God is renewing all things and that that God is going to make creation whole again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love the way that all fall fell in Adam and that all is being restored in Jesus Christ. I love the big picture, but at, brothers and sisters, the rubber must meet the road in the life of an individual, and we must answer the question, what must I do to be saved? What must we do? The answer is so simple and so, so beautiful and so bereft of any sort of human effort and human works. It is simply this, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I believe God's promises. Another question we may hear though is who can be saved? Who can be saved? This sounds like good news, but it can't be good news for me because I'm not the right sort of person. What does The Bible tell us in verses 11 and 12, so clearly the scripture speaks. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his his riches on all who call on him. There is no distinction which you bring to the table that puts you beyond God's ability to save you. There is no skin color. There is no nationality. There is no past of sin. There is no religious past. There is nothing that puts you outside the scope of the grace of God. Anyone can be saved and anyone will be saved if they call on the name of the Lord. And so many people will be asking, is there another way besides this? They will be like the rich young ruler. When when they hear this good news, at first it will sound wonderful, and yet by the end of it they'll feel dejected and wonder, is there another way? And the beauty of this gospel is that it's radically inclusive. Anyone can be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of this gospel is furthermore that it is radically exclusive. Everyone must be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no name under heaven whereby we must be saved. This is it. And we see this in verse 13 that that Paul is making it clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As we go through this passage, there are no other categories of salvation which we're given. There is no other picture of salvation which we're given in the New Testament. But that we must be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ by putting our faith and trust in Him. If all these things are true, brothers and sisters, Sisters, that must lead us to our third point, which is this. We must relentlessly pursue our mission. We must relentlessly pursue our mission. Brothers and sisters, we've been given a job to do. We've been given work by our 
master? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him um, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Brothers and sisters, these are our marching orders. We must send people to preach the gospel because those who are lost and in darkness must hear to believe and there must be preaching in order that they hear to believe and there must be sending for preaching to occur so that they might hear so that they might believe this is our work and we must like our Lord set a face like flint toward our job toward our work and relentlessly pursue our mission ask yourself this question I bet you've not asked yourself this question today Ask yourself this question, do I have beautiful feet? Do I have beautiful feet? Now some of you may have put on your summer strappy high heels today and asked that question, but most of you probably haven't. I've I've kept my feet covered up today, so I don't have to ask that question. But what does the Bible say? How beautiful, how beautiful are the feet? Of those who preach the good news. Are there people who will look back on your coming into their life. As one of the great joys and one of the great privileges. And one of the great honors by which God saved their soul. By which God introduced them to the gospel. Do you have beautiful feet? But they have not all obeyed the gospel the Bible says. There are people who have not believed. There are people who still need to put their trust and hope in Jesus. Isaiah says it, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so Paul reminds us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that people are saved. If you've not heard the gospel, you cannot believe. And so we must send people to the nations so that they might hear the gospel. We must send people to our neighborhoods so that they might hear the gospel. We must have beautiful feet and we must be fully committed to our mission so that we can bring the greatest gift and the greatest news that has ever been received, that has ever been heard in the history of mankind. We must bring it to people who desperately, desperately need it. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this invitation is for you. Because what we're doing here this morning is part and parcel of the work of evangelism that God has called us to do as a church. And that is the preaching of the gospel. It is not about what you've done. It is not about what you can do. You cannot clean yourself up. You need the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may have been a member of a church and served a church and done everything else for your whole life. And yet if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you do not know the Lord. And so this invitation is for each and every one of you. You may have come in off the street today. You may say, this is my last ditch effort to see if there's a message out there for me. This message is for you. This message is for you. You may be watching at home. You may be watching this later. And you may be saying to yourself, you know what? I have done the unthinkable today and listened to a sermon because I am so desperate to hear Something that means something 
this gospel is for you. If you will turn from your sins in repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, He will save you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Second of all, second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, just I just need some time to pray and ask God to embolden me as an evangelist, as someone who shares the gospel. This altar is open to you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you this morning about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, my prayer is that you would do work in the hearts of your people and those who are not yet your people this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.